everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is Dave Stovall. I get to be your host, and I'm so excited about today's episode. This is track session number two given to us by Disciple First at last year's National Disciple Making Forum. If you're not up to speed, we're working our way through all the track sessions that happened last year. So if you missed any, you can go back through this season and catch up on those. For this episode, Glenn Underhill and Craig Etheridge spoke to us about training up leaders of leaders. I really appreciated the depth that they went into to explain the different levels and also different expectations for each level of leader while we're training them up. Some people are going to be good fits for certain tasks and some for others, exactly like how Paul describes the body of Christ, one body with many members and purposes. This is quality stuff right here. I'm excited for you to hear it. So let's jump in and hear from Glenn and Craig of Disciple First. First of all, let me just say thank you for being here uh, we are so excited to see each and every one of you. And let me go as even far as to say this. Thank you for taking the time to be a part of a conference like this. Um, I know that you guys are very busy in all the places and things that you're doing. And to take some time away uh, to just really focus on this idea of making disciples and make disciples Jesus style uh, is very encouraging and inspiring. As I sit around here and I look across this room, I'm inspired by you wanting to really focus in and lean in and say, if Jesus made disciples and he commissions us to do that, which, by the way, it's the only thing he authorized us to do. If you notice, it says, all authority was given to me. It's only odd thing, it's odd, the, only word, the only time the word authorized is used in the New Testament. Uh, it was right there. Uh, so, man, that you'd be willing to lean into that and say, how do we do it like Jesus did? So, let me, I'll kind of introduce our organization. My name is Glenn Underhill. Uh, I am the executive director of Disciple First Ministries, uh, and I'm also the executive pastor of spiritual development at First Colleyville in Colleyville, Texas. Uh, this is our lead pastor, Craig Etheridge. He'll be coming up in just a few moments. Uh, I told our group the first hour, we're like an old married couple. Uh, we've been together a really long time, 20 plus years. In fact, how long have you been married and had a yeah, it's been, a, well, I guess, yeah, this is a long time, over 20. <laughs> and in fact, when he calls, my wife says, hey, your, your girlfriend's calling. So, uh, so we've been together a really long time. Uh, we enjoy doing a lot of ministry together. Uh, and uh, just want you to know that we're going to be talking about uh, this idea of raising up disciple-making leaders. Uh, you're going to hear us say that Jesus uh didn't just come to reach the world, but he came to reach and make disciples who were capable of reaching the world. And so in order to raise up a disciple-making ministry, it takes raising up disciple-making leaders. And uh, it's not just about having more leaders, it's about raising up the right kinds of leaders. Uh, and so we're going to continue to kind of unpack that session by session, what that looks like. You're going to also hear that we've got a book that we're getting ready to release after the first of the year. Uh, you'll be able to have a, a free copy of a, of a chapter of that book at the end of the session. We'll show you how you can get a free copy of a chapter out of that book so you can start reading it and getting updates on it as it comes out. But it really is our journey as we began to study the life of Jesus and say, how did Jesus make disciples? But not only how did he make disciples, he could make disciples. 
there's a, if you're not aware of this, Jesus spent about the last nine months of his ministry doing leadership development, raising up leaders of leaders. And so what we've done is just said, okay, Jesus, how did you go about raising up leaders of leaders, and what can we do to begin to emulate that same, those same principles and concepts and practices uh, into the life of our church? So a lot of what you're going to be seeing here and be hearing are things that we're doing at First Colleyville as practitioners. Uh, again, not perfect. We're not experts by any imagination, uh, but we're swinging for the fence, right, so to speak, because we really believe that we've been commissioned as a church to make disciples who make disciples Jesus' way, all right? So let me pray for us, and then uh, after I pray, I'm going to have Pastor Craig come up. So Father God, thank you for more time with some uh, inspiring leaders who choose to say, we want to make disciples like you, Jesus. We believe the world can be changed by committing our lives to, uh, to this uh, endeavor and that your church can uh, be what you want your church to be. I often am reminded, Jesus, of that quote I heard uh, early in my ministry that said, Jesus started the church the way he wants it. Now he wants it the way he started it. And that is our heart and our dream and our passion. So as we spend the next few minutes talking about how to raise up and how to make uh, and multiply disciple-making leaders, energize us, uh, help us to see what you see and are doing so that we can join that work uh, and change the world for your cause and glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Craig? All right. Or associate girlfriend? All right. Thank you. <laughs> so bad. All right. Uh, come on in. We may have a, we've got a few chairs here that you can slide into if you need them. All right. What we're going to talk about in this session is the leadership trajectory uh, of what does it look like to make a disciple-making leader. Last session, I was just uh, kind of introducing this idea that we need disciple-making leaders, not just leaders that are superstars, but disciple-making, multiplying leaders. That's what you need for your ministry to grow and multiply. That's what I need for my ministry to grow and multiply. We all want them. How do we get them? Uh, the good news is they're out there. You just have to make them yourself, okay? And so uh, we all want them to transfer by letter, amen? Uh, but, but, we, uh, but we have to make them ourselves. So when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was not only a great master disciple maker, but he was also a kingdom builder, all right? And you're going to see that all the way through this diagram that I'm going to be sharing with you today. For your ministry to grow, you have to create this disciple-making culture, but you also have to grow a leadership culture that is, that is growing disciples at every level, at every level of your leadership, that you want to be sure that there are disciples there. This is slow work. It's arduous work at times, painstaking at times. But the quick fixes simply won't work. Think about Jesus, right? He started, he had just a handful of guys, just the 12, then it multiplied to 72. You have the 120 in the upper room after three and a half years. That's, that's pretty much what he has. He had the crowds, but the crowds had long since dissipated, right? And so it wasn't, uh, it was that slow work of building the three, the 12, the 72, the 120, 
the 500 that were mentioned, that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15. But, but then you see the explosion of the church out of that. And so he was doing the hard work of raising up the right kinds of leaders. And so we've been asking the question, well, how did Jesus do it? What does it look like to make disciples, but also uh, build uh, kingdom builder type leaders, disciple making leaders? So I want to I want to show you something. This was a diagram that 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 is we've been playing with, and I think that God's put on our heart. So I want to give you uh, first things what we would call the disciple making pathway. If you uh, have a disciple making culture in your church, the way you cultivate that. Is a disciple, you have to create and define what a disciple making pathway looks like. In other words, what, what do I need to do first, then second, then third that produces a multiplying disciple? Uh, we get this right from Matthew 28, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded. Uh, you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is this is the great commandment and embedded in this great commandment is both the, the product and the process of a disciple-making pathway. Okay, The product of the disciple-making pathway is found right here when he said make disciples. This is the uh, verb, this is the main verb in this passage. It is often called the divine imperative. The one thing Jesus told us to do was to make disciples. So what that says to me as the key leader is when I stand before Jesus, he's going to ask me, where are your disciples? Where, where are the disciples that you made? Did you make disciples the way I told you and commanded you to make disciples? Now, we said the, this word disciple is the word mathetes. Um, in, the, in the Greek, mathetes, mathetes here is the, means to learn or to a learner, right? Uh, the Hebrew equivalent would be Talmud uh, or Talmudim in the plural. Uh, that simply means to learn, right, or, or to study as a rabbi. That was a term that was often used to study as a rabbi. And so what he's saying here is that not only are you just producing people that know stuff, but you're producing people that emulate a master. To be, a, to be in the queue to follow a rabbi, basically what you simply did was you followed this master this rabbi who would so that you could become like them and then eventually carry on the work once they were gone that was the that was the process the model jesus didn't create the uh, a disciple making process this is embedded down in the old testament you look at moses and joshua you look at elijah and elisha and you're seeing examples of disciple making embedded in the old testament jesus when he was alive, there were lots of other kinds of disciples. John the Baptist had his disciples. The Pharisees had their disciples, right? So this was the way that you trained up and raised up leaders. So Jesus was taking that model, and he was producing disciples after him that would follow him and be like him and carry on the work. I gave a definition of a disciple in the last session that's simply the 3D disciple is one who's devoted to Christ, was developing in the character and competencies of Jesus and then are uh, deployed into the mission, right? So that's, that is what he's asking us and commanding us to do right here in this passage, to make disciples. But the question is how? How do you make disciples? Which, by the way, let me before I go into that, let me just say this. If you don't have a clear definition of a disciple in your church, then you need one. 
If I told you to go make widgets, how are you going to make a widget if you don't know what a widget is, right? How would you know if you made a widget? You need to know what exactly it is. And if you want, if you're called and commanded to make a disciple, then you need to clearly define what a disciple is. And so the first order of business for us was how do you define what a disciple is so that you can know if you've made one or not. But then the pathway kind of shows you how a disciple is made. If the product is a disciple, then the pathway is how a disciple is made. And so I want to show you this, um, this pathway up here. Uh, this is what we call the disciple-making pathway. And there are four stages or phases to this pathway. Now, I'm, we normally do like a four-hour training on this, and I'm condensing this very fast down into just a few minutes uh, for you. But this disciple-making pathway really comes out of the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. So that word go implies I'm going to go out and I'm going to engage with uh, the gospel with people that are far from God. Uh, Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you, right? Jesus was a friend of sinners, Matthew 11. Uh, and Jesus clearly had this heart and passion for people that were far from God. In Luke 19, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. So I had one uh, evangelist tell me you can't spell gospel without first spelling go. Isn't that great? You can take that. That's for free. Uh, so we wrote, wrote, the word, wrote the word explore here, meaning these are people that are exploring the claims of Christ. These are people that are asking spiritual questions, and we want to take the gospel to them. So disciple-making begins with evangelism. Those that say, well, you know, you're in the discipleship camp, and we're in the evangelism camp, and those are two separate. Jesus knew no distinction, right? Jesus was the master evangelist and the master disciple-maker. And so it begins with evangelism, and a little uh, spoiler alert, it ends with evangelism too, all right? And so you can't be a disciple-making church without being evangelistic. It's a part of the DNA. And so it starts here with this explore phase. You're taking the gospel to people that um, need to hear it and taking the engaging explorers with the gospel and the claims of Christ. Then the next phase in the Great Commission, you say, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call this the connect phase. Because baptism was not only identifying with Jesus publicly, it certainly is, right? You're baptized, death, burial, resurrection, you're identifying with Jesus, but it also was a picture of inclusion into the body. That's why we baptize in front of other Christians, right? It's a picture that you're being included into the body of Christ. And so the next step, step here was to um, connect believers together. So once these people have heard the claims of Christ, then you want to connect them uh, or make some key connections. One, you want to connect them to Jesus in salvation. You want to connect them in community with each other, and also you want to connect them with a cause. That is, you want to get them volunteering, okay? So you're getting them, uh, making sure that they know Christ, you're making sure that they uh, are connected in community, that is, in your church, and maybe in a group life, and then you're connecting them with a cause. Now, uh, normally this is where churches stop, right here. If we can get them uh, asking spiritual questions, get them saved and connected with the church, and serving, and maybe even giving a little bit, high five, chest bump, we've, we've won the day. 
but that is only half of the disciple uh, disciple making pathway that Jesus laid out for us. Are y'all with me? All right. So explore. We're trying to get the gospel of people who don't know him. Connecting, we're connecting with Christ in salvation, connecting them in community, and we're connecting them with a cause. The next element is what we call the growth phase. Jesus said, teaching them to obey. All I've commanded you, right? Teaching them to obey. Now, our emphasis is always like this. Teaching them to obey. When it should be teaching them to Obey, right? <laughs> the emphasis has to be on the right syllable, all right? <laughs> and and you got to be sure that the emphasis is on obedience. Now, if you teach someone to obey, if your goal is obedience, then that requires a high degree of accountability. True? A high degree of accountability and a high degree of commitment. And so Jesus here is raising the bar of commitment. This is why he said in Luke 640, um, a disciple is not above his teacher for everyone when he is fully trained will be like his master. There's training involved. There's accountability involved. First uh, Timothy 4, 7, he said, train yourself to be godly. And so here, this is the training phase. This is the equipping phase. This is accountability phase. You're growing up, really. Right? This is like little Johnny, uh, and he's... Now got to learn to take care of himself, and he's got to learn to uh, be equipped to drive a car and get a job. And and that, you don't want Johnny in your basement, you know, at fifty, right? You want him to yeah. grow up. In the same thing spiritually, uh, people never really grow up until they go through this phase where they have learned to discipline themselves. They've learned to feed themselves spiritually. They've learned the disciplines how to show their faith, how to read their Bible, how to walk with God, how to endure hardship, and trust in the grace of God. And all these elements that, that we have to learn. And so this, he said, once you've uh, got someone to exploring, and then they finally come to Christ, and now they get involved in a group, and now they're they're serving. Now you teach those people to obey. So 2 Timothy 2, 2, right? The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will then teach others. It's this investment, this entrusting, uh, this training, this equipping that is necessary. Has to be there. Uh, in your spiritual pathway for you to see spiritual growth. A lot of churches are skipping over this to get to the multiply phase. Multiply phase is where he said, teach them to observe all I commanded. Now, what did he just command them to do? To make disciples, right? That's the key command, right? That's the number one command. So that implies that they must make disciples as well. So the, the dream of Jesus was that he would produce reproducers, that he would create disciples that make disciples, and that this, this multiplication would be the normal Christian life. We see this in the book of Acts, Acts 6, verse 7. The disciples multiplied greatly. And so here is the spiritual growth pathway, the disciple-making pathway that Jesus gave us just right there embedded in uh, the Great Commission. Explore, connect these new believers with Christ, with the church and community and with the cause, then equip them and train them to grow in their faith and then send them out to multiply. Okay, Explore, connect, grow, multiply. Now, 
The cool thing about this is that we saw this in the Great Commission. We're like, this is so cool. You've got the product and the process right there. I mean, that just like Jesus. I mean, it's all boom right there at the very end. It's like he's, it's a one, one word summary, you know, after all of the investment that he's given to these men. And then we realized this. When we started to study the life of Christ, we got a, a copy of the, um, the Harmony of the Gospels. Are you all familiar with the Harmony of the Gospels? Harmony of the Gospel basically takes the four Gospels and harmonizes them in chronological order. What did Jesus do in year one? What did he do in year two? What did he do in year three? And this is completely like looking through a, a different lens. Because we know the Gospels are, are laid out some more thematically, some more chronologically. John is the last one to write. He fills a lot in in the beginning and a lot in in the back end. And thankful for John to do that. But Harmony of the Gospel allows you to see what Jesus did and when he did it. And when we laid the life of Christ over this grid, what we found is that he spent about 18 months in the explore phase. Then he spent about six months in the connect phase. Then he spent about another six months in the grow phase. And he spent about nine months in the multiply phase. And it, it was a fascinating study. Now we do a, we do a, a like I said, a four-hour training where we dive into all the detail. I cannot do that for you in this session, all right? But what I want you to know is that this was not only the pathway that Jesus said to do, it's how he did it. It's how he did it. So the first step for you is to, is to say, okay, uh, do I have a spiritual pathway, growth pathway, and, and is my pathway modeling the pathway of Jesus? Okay, I think this is really important. I mean, some churches, they create spiritual growth pathways that usually seem like something like win somebody, uh, have community, um, uh, give and serve. Usually it ends with serve. <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus' pathway serve was right here. Uh, train, multiply. That was how Jesus' pathway concludes. And that's because his goal was multiplication. To create leaders and individuals, disciples, that would multiply. Okay? All right. Now, I feel like I've kind of rushed through that. Uh, there's so much more we could talk about here. But this pathway is critical. Now, if you're going to create disciples in your church, you're trying to move them along this pathway. This pathway is sequential. There's a certain order to it. It's intentional. There, there's a reason why you do one and then the next and then the next. And the goal is multiplication. And what I've found is that people get stuck on the spiritual growth pathway they, they, they've refused or, or don't know what the next step is. A lot of your church, and I would say the majority of yours, I say yours because they're mine too, are stuck right here. They're stuck right here. The majority of your programming in your church is all right here. Uh, Dan Spader, who's our dear friend and trained us, he did a, um, he did a doctoral project where he surveyed 100 churches and he asked them to put in these categories what their pro, pro, the primary purpose of their programming, right? So you do a Sunday morning, great. What's the primary purpose of that? Drop it into each category. You do Wednesday night, great. What's, what's the primary purpose? You know what he discovered? He said out of 100 churches, 87 of those churches had all of their programming here. What that means is nothing intentional to reach the loss, nothing intentional to train up the believers, and nothing intentional to multiply. 
So if you have a church that isn't reaching in new people and not sending out people to multiply, what do you have? Yeah, you have a stagnant, dying church. And that's where we are, folks. That's where we are. If you're in a church revitalization uh, scenario, this is why it is where it is. Uh, our church in Oklahoma was a very same thing. And we had to, well, we realized, oh, because we're not, we're not building out the pathway and helping people know what it is and take the next step in that pathway. That's the only way to revitalization. Okay. All right, so I'm going to hit the pause button here. What, any questions you have, I know I can see in your eyeballs, you have, you're like, okay, but, so what question do you have about this before I go, uh, continue on. Could you uh, tell us some of the things that you have in those areas? Yeah, um, great question. So what we what we uh, do is at least once a year, our senior leadership team is is looking at this and we're saying, okay, let's list our programming in our different areas and what it fills out where. And um, what we'll find is that we tend to. Early on, we were very heavy here. Like, you know, the majority of our programming was right here. So we had to build out more evangelism uh, initiatives. And we had to build, we had to be sure we had tools that we could disciple our people through, that we knew what those were, and then a way to keep fanning the flame of our multipliers. Okay. Um, and so we continually work on that. We're continually assessing that. In fact, this pathway is one of our key assessment tools for the health of our church. We're constantly evaluating, are we providing programming at every level to move people along the pathway? Does that make sense? So, uh, yeah, we have Explore events uh, where and across all, all different departments where we have events that are targeted to reach lost people. Uh, we're going to have a whole initiative in the spring just on evangelism helping people be trained in evangelism, helping people identify their top five that are far from God, helping people know how to have spiritual conversations. We're going to have different uh, events along the way that are purely evangelistic events to share their faith. So all that is explore. Okay? Um, we'll bring in apologists to do a, an evening uh, where they're training and, and they can invite their, their more difficult <laughs> friends that have a lot of spiritual questions to that. So we're, we're constantly asking, how do we, how do we build up the explore phase on connect phase? We usually have, we have connect groups. We have on, on site open groups that, that do that. We have Bible studies and so on. Um, we just redesigned our women's ministry to intentionally become more evangelistic because it was, it was mostly just focusing right here. So we're constantly evaluating that. On the Grow phase, we have the Grow series, which is that three book series we talked about, Walk with God, Reach Your World, and Invest in a Few, are the tools that we use to train up and equip our people to multiply. And then the Multiply phase, uh, we have uh, quarterly gathering our multipliers together to fan that flame. Uh, we, we have um, resources that we give them and encouragement that we give them uh, to keep them going. But... But the idea is that you need to have programming at every stage of the pathway so that you're moving people along the way and that you know where your people are and what's the next step they need to take. But that's the benefit of being in groups is you can know, okay, how many of your people have, are here? How many people are here? How many people are here? What, who needs to take the next step? Yeah. 
How long does it take to move someone through those phases? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I said it took, took Jesus three and a half years to get people through that. Uh, I don't, I've, in my, all my years, I've wished to say, I wish I could put a clock on that, and I can't. You know, there are some people that, man, they come to Jesus, they're so fired up, they get into a group, they're like, what's next? And then they get into this group, and they're like, and they're starting to win people to Christ and decide before they're not supposed to. And, and they're just they're just go-getters, right? And they're just taking off. Uh, there's some people that get stuck along the way. Uh, they get stuck because they get distracted. You know, just look at the soils, right? They get stuck because they're in the weeds. They get stuck because they're, you know, they're decision was shallow in the beginning, whatnot, and I think that you have to be patient with those folks and lovingly encourage them. But I tell you what, I, I just want to say that as leaders, I have to take ownership. Am I making the pathway clear? Am I encouraging them? Is it easy for them to know what their next step is and get into it? I, I want to be sure that that is there for them. So I'm going to take ownership as much as I can of their pathway and their, their movement down the pathway. But what, would be, what would be like an expectation? Yeah, well, I, you know, for example, it, it, it'd probably be, a, you know, some, some people do longer. For us, it's about uh, 10 months to a year, probably in this phase, right? If somebody uh, comes to faith and they get into a group, I'm going to want them to settle in here for a year or so, right? At least, you know, because they have to have a, a base of knowledge they're cared for, they're building relationships. They're starting to serve, then they get into this, and now they move on. So it may be a couple of years for them to move down that. Some may be quicker, some may be slower. Um, but what you're trying to do is, as best you can, move them this way. Because when they get to this phase, then at least they they have the basics of spiritual maturity in the sense that they, they, they are devoted to Christ, they have developed the character and competency in this phase, and now they're deployed in the mission field, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, two questions. Uh, last session you mentioned about being group of three and four. Mm -hmm. um, does that happen in Connect or does that happen in Drum? Yeah, I'm talking about the growth phase here. So the people in Connect, when you connect them to a group, does that group code continue wanting to grow, or is this a grow like a separate come to this? Right, yeah. So these are two separate, and like in our longer play training, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the difference between two, these two growth experiences, these two group experiences. Uh, this is an open group. Uh, this is usually a larger. This is for community. This is for encouragement. This is for care. This is for um, uh, beginning to serve and volunteer in some capacity. This is a closed group. This is for spiritual training and equipping. Uh, this is long-term, this is short-term. So there are there's some distinguishing factors between those two groups uh, because they produce different things in a person. You're invited into the growth group. Yeah, yeah. So normally what happens is you're fishing out of this group to move people to this group, right? Yeah, yeah. As you're transitioning from one vertical to the next, um, especially as you've worked with other churches around the country, you're finding that there's differences of where those transitions are harder um, holistically or is it based on regions in certain different certain mean transitions between steps yeah. uh, you know I, I've not found that certain regions are more difficult than others I think we all you know every person the guy that discipled the two of us he used to say every man walks with God alone and what that means is, that while we desperately need each other, we need community 
we're responsible for our own walk with God, right? And uh, ultimately, I'm responsible for my walk with the Lord. And so I think there's some natural pitfalls that hinder us along the way. In fact, I just did a sermon uh, about four weeks ago where I put four chairs out here and I talked about each stage and what hinders you from each one of those. And so I think that, um, uh, you know, there are things that can hinder you along the way. But uh, I, I think as a pastor, and as a leader, what you need to be saying is in our church, is it clear? Is our pathway clear? Do people know? that we, there is such a thing? And do they know kind of where they are? And are you constantly, at least regularly, helping them assess their spiritual condition and what is the next step? And what we found is that our people, they're, they're happy to know there's a, there's a pathway. They're happy to know that there, there's an identification of here's where I am and here's where I need to be, and that, hey, I can take this step and, and, and begin to grow in my walk with God. We'd like to, Craig, real quick, I would say, we like to say it's the difference between having a map and a menu. Because most churches are really good at offering menu. Hey, do all of this, but we want to provide them a map. A map from where are you, identify where you're at, to where, you know, Jesus really wants all of us to be. Yeah, that's really good. Yes, sir. Um, are your community groups uh, ongoing, <coughs> start and stop, and... How do you get people to move out of a community group into a growth group when they love being in their community group? They yeah. Want to give that up? yeah, that's great. Oh, you have people like that too, huh? <laughs> so the question is, uh, are these, you call them community groups, we call them connect groups, are these oh, ongoing? Yeah. Uh, these are ongoing groups. And so what we find is that we ask people, hey, you're in this group, I'd like to invite you to drop in to this for a period of time. This is not ongoing, this is just for a period of time. And so we fish out of these groups to move people into this one. And they continue to stay in their connect group. Their connect, in our context, their connect group happens on Sunday morning. And so we can say, hey, well, I've got a group of guys that I meet with Tuesday morning at the coffee shop at six o'clock. We're going through this book called Walk With God. We'd love for you to join us in that. So they're they're actually doing both of these simultaneously. Okay. Now, other decentralized groups, they still do the same thing because a lot of times what they'll do is they'll say in the context of their group, now all the men are going to go into the kitchen, all the women are going to go into the back room, and they create two different environments within that same time slot. So there are different ways to do it. Uh, and again, if I had more time, I would talk about the 3C model and what how that works. But what we found is that that what you're trying to accomplish here is about connecting uh, believers, solidifying them in the Word of God, providing care and nurture, and you are giving them a place to serve, which is very important. But you don't want to get stuck there. You want to move forward into this where you're going to be now with a smaller group with higher accountability and high commitment, and that is going to stimulate spiritual growth. Okay. Is the growth group temporary? Uh, yes, this would be yeah a temporary period of time because then they're going to take what they learned and they're going to multiply that in the lives of others. You said there's yes. three books that go with the growth. Yes, yeah, in our in our uh, structure, yes, we have a growth series. So we have one book called Walk with God, one book called Reach Your World, which is all about evangelism, and the third one is Invest in a Few, where we're training them to multiply.
Yes, sir, you had your hand back there for a while. You had talked last session about leaders not getting ahead of themselves. Yes. Pushing people too fast. What yes. about those people, and I know no other churches have this issue, what about those people that think they ought to be further along than they are? Yeah. How do you pull them back? Yeah. Yeah. What? Okay. In the, in the early days, we did a spiritual assessment and we gave it all out to everybody and said, okay, now you assess where you're at and guess where everybody put them. <laughs> now they haven't, they, they haven't been disciple and they aren't multiplying their life, but they put themselves here because I have to be, I've been in church forever. Right. And so even their ability to assess themselves is oftentimes not, uh, not wholly accurate. Right. And so um, that's kind of the downside of assessments. I think there are ways that you can make assessments a little bit better by assessing certain behaviors, not just I feel like I'm this way, but are you doing these things? Uh, and then when we did that, and then we got a lot of people upset with us because of, well, who are you to say that I should be reading my Bible every day? You know, like, okay, go back to here. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? So I think uh, assessments are a challenge. I know some churches that use them, but I think what you are trying to do is to make it clear uh, what are the next steps that they can take and encourage them to take those steps. Yeah. What are some ways that you're clearly uh, laying this out and communicating it to your, uh, to your body? Yeah, how do we communicate the pathway to our body? So the first thing we do is that if you join our church, you go through a course that explains the pathway. So right from the very beginning, you run into this thing. You preach it every year. I'm preaching on it regularly. I'm talking about, we, we talk about, hey, this is an Explore event. We want to be sure everybody comes to this Explore event. Or, hey, we have Connect Groups. Connect Groups is where you connect with other people and grow spiritually. We have the Grow Series. Actually, we've, we've titled all of our programming, Shocker, uh, to match these things so that people can kind of figure it out. We have things on walls that say explore, connect, grow. I mean, so we're trying to do everything we can to communicate that over and over and over. It's in their face all the time. Yeah. And, and so what happens is it just becomes the natural part of our life. In fact, one of the guys in our leadership team, uh, he said, man, if we didn't do the pathway, then I don't know what we do. I mean, this is all we do. This is who we are. And so he's, he's getting it. It's a part of the ethos and culture. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. I know you probably have a lot, but I've still got a lot more to cover, okay? So uh, uh, 
let's let's continue on. So disciple making pathway is critical to creating a disciple making culture. Like I said, we could do five hours of training just on that. But I want to introduce another element, and that is the leadership pipeline. Leadership pipeline is a strategic plan to identify new leaders and to develop leaders and move them up and through the organization. Okay. So this pipeline identifies at least five levels of leader. This, the, you may have, have come across the leadership pipeline. This came out several years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Very popular book in corporate America. Uh, if you want to take it and read it, uh, that's fantastic. I did read the whole thing. Uh, it's a little dry, okay? And it's written from a global international company perspective. Uh, however, uh, this pipeline is very helpful in learning how to develop leaders. And, and so let me tell you that most organizations, most churches have five levels of leaders. So let me put this up here. The leadership pipeline has these five levels of leader. Number one is a leader of self. You're a leader of self, meaning you're, you're a volunteer, um, you serve in some capacity, but you're not in any leadership position. You're just leading yourself. You're learning to lead yourself. Uh, the second one would be a leader of a team. Okay, and this is where you're leading a handful of people, maybe three, five, ten, uh, to perform a certain ministry task. So you're a team leader. You have oversight over a team to make sure that you perform a certain ministry task. Then you have leaders of leaders. These are people that oversee team leaders, right? So the leaders of leaders are people that are overseeing team leaders. So let's say I'm a volunteer greeter at the first service. I am in this category. Now let's say I am a, uh, I'm a team lead of, of, uh, of several leaders that handle the coffee. And I oversee all the coffee that's made in the first service. I got about three or four people that are on my team that I would be a team leader. Now, if I am over all, all the greeting for the first service and I have the coffee team, the leader that I'm re responsible for, and the greeter head guy that I'm responsible for, and the golf cart people that get people up to the church, right, then I'm a leader of leaders. I'm overseeing the captains or these team leads of everyone in the team. Does that make sense? Are y'all tracking with me? A departmental leader then is someone who oversees a whole department and therefore would, um, they have all these people underneath them, but they're spending most of their time leading these leader of leaders. A department would be a student ministry, student department, a kids department, a worship department, an adult department, um, something like that. Does that make sense? Uh, they are guest services department, if you have that in your church. But this is someone who is typically, this is on staff person, and they are overseeing all these team leads that are overseeing all these team leaders that are overseeing all these volunteers that are under them. Most churches will have some of this here. If you have any, any paid staff, then you have a department of leaders. Okay? And then you have leaders of the organization. These would be people that oversee all the departmental leaders. So in some churches, that may be the lead pastor. Um, in other churches, it may be a senior leadership team that's up here. But they're giving oversight to the departmental leaders that lead these leaders of leaders that lead these teams and these volunteers. 
Now, the trick here, uh, as you're trying to, to build up leaders at every level of your organization, is you've got to define the key skills needed to be successful. Because it's, it takes something to be a good volunteer, takes a different skill to actually lead a team of volunteers. It takes a different skill to actually lead leaders. That's a whole different thing together. It takes another set of skills to lead a whole department. And then it takes another set of skills to lead the overall organization. So identifying what skills are needed to be successful at every level is really, really important. Another thing that's important is uh, you've got to clarify the commitment required. You know, it takes a lot more commitment to be here than it does to be here, right? Just to be a volunteer, show up, not a lot of commitment. But if I'm going to be a team leader, there's more. If I'm going to lead leaders, there's a lot more. If I'm going to be a departmental leader, there's a lot more commitment. See, so the, the commitment continues to rise as you go through here. But leadership development is going to be, for the most part, the work of filling in. You already have people in these strata of, of your organization. You already have them. You could probably sit down and go, okay, well, it's probably this person this year and this person's here. You could probably graph it out. Depending on the size of the church, uh, you already have some leadership strata like this, leadership levels like this. But developing a pipeline is intentionally de developing these leaders and moving them up through the organization. Okay. Now, when you put these two together, you create something that's a little bit different. And that is, you, how do we create disciple-making people and raise these kinds of people up into the body of the organization? And so this line here, which we call an L1 for leader one, is a, a, a line or a trajectory of a disciple-making leader. Okay, this is the trajectory of a disciple-making leader. And so let's say you have a person there in the explore phase. Okay, they don't know Jesus yet, but they're coming to church, they're hungry, they're eager. Can that person volunteer? Would you let a person like that volunteer? Yes, I would too. And we're so glad you're here. Could you uh, help me set this thing up? I'm so glad you're here. Could you hand out those programs? I'm so glad you're here. Could you come? You know, in fact, many people come to Christ because they they're involved in serving and they feel a part of the team, and that helps them and draws them to faith in Jesus. We'd go out and do community events. Man, we want them to come with us. Let's go serve together and they see people working for the common good and they are inspired by that and so yes this is really important but as you move up to leader of a team you may not want that person that's not a believer to be leading a team right so you you probably expect them to be, at least be in the connect phase right uh they, they've come to christ they're in a group they're growing in the baseline but they could probably still lead a team and they could lead the golf cart uh, team on sunday morning they don't have to know a bunch of scripture they don't have to be great dialed in on their theology to do that yeah you can have a team leader that's in this connect phase and come to christ they're in a group they're growing yeah they can lead teams but if you want to have leader of leaders now you would expect out of your leaders of all these teams to even grow further. You would want them to be at least in this growth phase, right? Where they are growing, they're, they're expressing a sense of high commitment and accountability, they're walking with God, they're growing in the character and the competencies of Jesus. So if you're gonna have somebody that's leading at this level, you want them to have the basics down of their walk with God. 
right? And of course, it depends on how responsible this is. If this is leaders of leader of something very small, that's different than if they're running the women's ministry or they're running the men's ministry, right? Then that that would you would certainly expect them to at least be down to the growth phase. But if you want to move up to a departmental leader, you want a youth pastor. How many of you want your youth pastor to know Jesus? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too, please. That would be preferable that they know Jesus. Uh, you, you actually want them to not just be a baby Christian. You actually want them to have been walking with God in such a way that now, now they actually know how to multiply. And then what you want the leaders, the pastors and the leaders of your church, you want them at the highest level to be emulating and living in this multiply phase. Does that make sense? The problem is that we don't have that. I'm not going to get to that in just a minute, but here's what I want you to see. The, what Jesus does, when you look at the life of Jesus, when you overlay along this pathway his leadership development plan, what you find is that Jesus raises them to higher levels of leadership as they progress down the pathway. This is the big takeaway. You, do, you want to raise people. This is the one takeaway for the day, all right? You don't want to raise people in the levers of leadership until they progress down the pathway. Right? Because this is how they're learning to be a disciple maker. And if you want a disciple making leader, then you have to have someone that has progressed down this way. Does that make sense? So Glenn mentioned uh, Zach to you. Zach, he was, uh, he already came, he came to our church as a, as a Christian. But he was in a group, and then as he began to be discipled, he was a group leader uh, of a small group, uh, a connect group. And then he moved up. He started being discipled, and he he was raised up to a coach, a group's adult group coach, which was a leader of leaders. And then eventually he moved up into We brought him on staff and departmental leader while he's now in the multiply phase. And then now he's at one of the senior levels of our leadership, and he's all the way over here. But he was, he's long been in this multiply. He's a multiplying guy, okay? That's the kind of leader you want. You're not going to fuss with them over the direction of should we be making disciples or not. They're leading out of the overflow. They're leading by example. He's multiplying who he is in the lives of others. That's the kind of person you want. Now, the big challenge we have is that many times we have leaders that are like this. This is what we call an L2 leader. This is a leader but not a disciple maker. This person, they have quickly risen to leadership, but they did not progress past the connect phase. That means that they've never really been discipled, but they're a great preacher, or they're gifted visionary leader, or they're super talented worship leader, or whatever the case may be. They're really good at what they do. That's why you've hired them, or that's why you place them in these positions, but they never really fully developed. Does that make sense? When I looked at that, I thought, you know what? That explains a lot of why we have people on staff that are not disciple makers. They're good at what they do, but they push back on the things that we challenge them to long term because they never grew in these last two phases. Many times, guys, this is a self-inflicted wound. You know what I mean by that? We hired them. We put them in that spot. And they seemed so nice, and I liked them, you know. And they like we like the same ball teams, and whatnot. But they have not developed in these areas, 
And so this is why ministry gets choppy and you have staff conflict, you have all kinds of problems in leadership because they never developed. This is the shortcut that I was saying. I move people up in these positions too fast without making sure that they developed down the pathway first. Um, so um, I, I think about um, my own life. You know, I was, uh, uh, I came to Christ as a, when I was a young, young man and, um, and yet I did not, I wasn't, didn't know how to disciple people until the three men, well, I'm a pastor now, I'm up here. And I didn't know how to do that and until these three men in our church showed me how to make disciples and make disciples. And I had to learn to do that. We have, I think about a guy named Josh that's in our, our church right now. We brought him on the team, a great, dynamic, positive, energetic, visionary, high energy leader, right? But, but he had never really progressed down this way. And so we had to bend him this direction. Does that make sense? And in order to do that, he had to be willing to submit to high accountability and high levels of commitment in his own spiritual growth. The number one reason why L2s don't want to be L1s is because they're like, well, you don't understand. I don't need to go through that because I've been in church for 15 years and I have a seminary degree and who are you to tell me that I need to be? Are, you, are we talking now? P-R-I-D-E prevents an L2 from being an L1. What happened with Josh is I said, Josh, man, I want you to be in my group. And he goes, I'd love to be in your group. And as he got into it, he started growing rapidly, started memorizing the scriptures, started having a heart and passion for making disciples. And I just watched him bend right over to an L1. And now he is making disciples and multiplying his life and lives of others. He's a disciple-making leader. L3 is what we would call a disciple-maker who's not a leader. Okay. This is a person who has, they progress down the discipleship pathway. They are multiplying their life. They're in the multiply phase. They're multiplying their, they're making disciples, but they've never risen up to leadership. They've not been invited up to leadership. Now, there are some people that are this way. They're over here because, uh, for lots of reasons. One reason is they may not be gifted to be a leader, and not everybody should be a leader. Right? Not everybody's gifted or called to be a leader. And so it's okay to have some people in your church that are like this. In fact, a lot of members of your church, you want to be right here. right? They're just making disciples. They're plugging away. But they're not called to be a leader uh, uh, in your church for gifting or calling. Uh, but some people do have gifting and calling, but they've never made it up into levels of leadership. Now, why would somebody be a multiplier but not rise up to levels of leadership? Can you think of a reason? Character issues. Yeah, that's a great one. What? Somebody they're, said they're out doing the mission work, so they're not into the leadership. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they're not given the opportunity. Yes. <laughs> What's that? A yeah, season of life. Yeah. I think these are all really important ones. I want to I want to harp on two of them that you mentioned. There are some reasons why some may not rise up because of character issues, or maybe a season of life. Hey, I just don't don't have the bandwidth to do it, and I can understand that. People, we have been flow through that, but sometimes people are not raised up into leadership because those that are in leadership don't necessarily want them 
risen up into these levels of leadership because they're intimidated by them because these people are further down the pathway than they are and they can see this person as a threat. Mm -hmm. You mean a dysfunctional organization? <laughs> I'm just telling you, man, I have seen this. Well, why would I want to raise that person up? Because then, you know, then they might do my job and then, you know, then what would I do? And so this person here does not want to multiply. This person does not want to multiply. They are not going to lead your church to multiply. Why? Because they're the superstar. That's back to session one. They're, it's, they're the superstar. It's about them. And so to protect themselves, they won't raise up people underneath them. And so they don't give what we call places for people to play. They don't give room for people. They don't invite people up. Yes, sir. Let me ask you, and again, I'm coming from a context of, of a more of a parent church organization mm -hmm. or something yeah. like that. So I don't have the overlay of you know, leadership in the church and so forth. But I think somebody can build a case that for a person to be effective in multiplying and leading these growth groups, they have to they have to see themselves as a leader and have leadership skills within that. I mean, so um, would you agree with that? <laughs> well, I, yes and no. I think that uh, a person can be a multiplier but not have skills in, in, in organizational leadership that would require you moving up. I don't think that everybody has that skill. I think Jesus called every one of us to invest our life in others, right, regardless of our leadership skills. And yet we do know in Scripture there, there are clearly uh, giftings of leadership that not everybody has. Well, a lot of this comes back to how you define leadership. Uh, I, I heard just last week a really interesting one from one of the Venom brothers, you know, that leadership is the ability to put an appetite in those you lead. Now, I see that type of leadership as a very integral part of being a multiplier and, and a trainer, you know, someone helping to uh, teach others to obey what Jesus commanded. I, I would disagree. I don't think that's the best definition of a leader, personally. But I do understand that there is some initiative that's required and some ability to invest in others that is required in that. But my point here is that when you're looking organizationally, there are some people that are out there getting the work done that could come up to leadership that are not. Sometimes it's because these guys are already in leadership and don't want them to. Sometimes this person over here uh, just doesn't feel like I need to waste my time in the church. I'm going to do that somewhere else. You know, and I, I have uh, some friends that, that they've said, hey, Craig, I'm doing my own personal discipleship ministry. I, don't, I, I think the church may, many times is too big and uh, too distracted with other things. I don't want to give my time to that. I'm just going to focus on my personal ministry and not give any to, to leadership within the church. And so they choose this. But whatever the case may be, I think that you do have some people that have potential. If you've discipled people, you're going to find some people that have potential that can, can, raise, uh, can, can rise up. Uh, the leadership pipeline and create more leaders within your organization. Okay? Yes? You mentioned skills. Skills can be taught. So there's the part that where I'm not making wise to be a leader, but then skills, there are competencies and skills that can be taught. So right. I think maybe L2s don't want to teach the L3s those competencies. Right. Um, where do you put... Where do you where do you fill that gap? Yeah. So let me let me just kind of wrap up. I know our time is running out. So let me just uh, let me say this: if you're, if you're an L two or you have L twos on your staff right now, you may be going, okay, I have some L twos. 
on my team right now. That's the reason why I can't get them to multiply. That's why they're, I'm struggling because they're just not far enough, far enough down this pathway. What do I do with an L2? I would say invite that L2 into relationship with you and invest your time in them. That's what Jesus did. And invest heavily in them and say, hey, I want us to go through this deal together. You don't have to say, well, you're an L2 and I'm an L1. I wouldn't do that. Just say, hey, man, I've been praying about this. I really want to spend more time with you. And I want us just to grow together. And let's memorize some scripture together. And let's go through this tool together. And, let's, and, and you know what? Uh, what I usually tell L2s is I'll say, listen, you may already have all this down. Wink, wink. But I'm going to show you this tool so that you know how to invest in others. And you know how to train others. And so if, 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 if you've got L2s, I would say you've got to invest in them. And you've got to do the best you can to move them down the spiritual pathway. That is how you bend them to being a disciple-making leader. Okay, that's what I did with Josh. And that's what needs to happen. Okay, if you are an L3 uh, or you have L3s in your church, you think, man, I've got these people. They're great disciple-makers, but... I can't get them to come up and take greater levels of leadership in my church. I think they're competent. I think they have the ability. You know, then I would just challenge them with vision. I would say, hey, I, I really, I really think that you have got more bandwidth, more contribution to this church and to the overall ministry. And if they say, well, you know, but the church has got so many other things. I'm more zero focused in. I would say, hey, you know, you leading, rising in leadership may actually help me change the whole culture of our church to be more disciple-making oriented. You clearly get it. We need you up here. I think about um, a man that was in our church in Oklahoma, and he was a disciple-maker, but he gave himself to the ministry within the church, and he was at high levels of leadership. And by, because he was a disciple-maker, he just created this atmosphere the disciple-making was important. And, and, it, and he kind of raised the disciple-making temperature in the life of that church. So I would go to, I appeal to L3s and say, please, give us some of your time because you could very well change the whole atmosphere of this church to focus on disciple-making just like Jesus did. Um, and the way that you do that is just you've got to move them through skill training, right? Just as you said, the way you move them up through this way is through skill training, leadership training. The way you move them this way is through spiritual training, okay? And so that's the way you're going to bend these up. Now, what I'm going to show you tomorrow, if you come tomorrow, what we're going to do is I don't have time to go through every phase and what Jesus did at every stage because uh, that would be like five more sessions. And they didn't give me that. They only gave me two more. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the leader of a team, and I'm going to show you what did Jesus do in this phase to actually develop leaders of a team. And what you can do with your team leaders, walk out with, with here, here are several things I can do right now to train my team leaders the way Jesus trained team leaders. And then in the next session, I'm going to show you how to deal with staff departmental leaders. What do your departmental, I'm going to just give you seven deadly sins of a departmental leader. <laughs> and uh, what, what you need to tell them to not do, and then show them exactly what Jesus trained them to do at that phase. And so there, you come, now we start drilling down into uh, detail, practical things you need to teach them and train them to do at that stage. The cool thing is Jesus had different levels of training for each phase. 
And so you can come back and say, okay, this is how I train my volunteers, this is how I train my leaders, my team leads, and so on uh, in your organization. And ultimately, that's what the book is all about, is diving into each one of these and giving you kind of a playbook for how to train every leader in your organization. So the end goal is to get as many of these as possible, right? As many L1s as you possibly can. That's what will allow your church to multiply and to grow. Great stuff from Glenn and Craig from Disciple First. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Stick around. Next episode is going to be track session number three from them from last year. It's going to be great. And as always, thank you so much for being a listener of the Disciple Makers podcast. If you haven't already, I'd love it if you click subscribe. And to go even further, check out discipleship.org collective to get a free account to watch the live webinars and seminars and to have a community online of Disciple Makers. All right, y'all stay safe. Have a great day.